quantize her off on this one. You know why? Oh, I know exactly why. You know exactly. <laughs> you know what we're talking about. I read about. the book on this. Oh yeah, dude. Things you did. Called, I did. Yeah, it was, that, that's gonna be something that I hope that you get around to at some point. Because yeah. That would be a great cool one for the book club. Well, it, like you said, I think it's coming up. This I love it. We're just we're out of the gate. We're we can't even help ourselves. The intro's going, and we're already into, do, the, into the meat. Nothing I love more than inside baseball during the intro. You know um, but yeah, audio exercise 2023. We are back at you. Yes, first episode of the new year. It's uh, what's today? January thirteenth. Fourteenth. Fourteenth. Yes. And the sun has been out twice this year. I think. The sun has been out in Michigan two times. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. Yeah, feels good to be recording in the heat of the darkness. Uh, yeah, in the heat just, of the darkness. I, I know. Like that. Yeah, right. Doesn't yeah. make sense. The, kind of a ringoism there. Yeah, like a little, <laughs> a hard day's night. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, this being the first one of 2023, there's so many different things that we could start to get into right now as we look at the year ahead of us in music. But first off, all I really want to know out of the gates is what you've been jamming on as a late Danny man. Um, let's see. I. I put together a playlist last night, actually, that I titled 2023, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like, do you ever do this? I feel like in my head, I make my own little micro, I mean, everyone probably does this, but I make mm-hmm. my own little micro genres, um, and so like one I've had for a while, and it's like my go-to example for when I do this, is like male baritone songwriters who seem like they're very much like lyricist first guys, like poets who happen to also like do music. So like mm, the playlist mm. I've got, I'm looking at here, it's got like, you've just been going deep in the day, Berman. So. It's got Berman, of course, yeah, Berman yeah. and Callahan are kind of the two big mm, dogs. of The load stars there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And then I guess actually in retrospect, really like the original, can you guess who I think the beginning of this was? Goes uh, back to the sixties. Goes back to the sixties. Oh, well, I mean, there are, uh, still a lot of people that I could kind of point to. I'm thinking like Lou Reed has been on my mind just uh, Very, with okay, like who we were talking about as a late, like literally 10 minutes ago. But. Lou's in the mix, but I'm going Leonard Cohen. Okay, sure. Yeah. Makes so, I've got, sense. so I've got this playlist right here. It's about an hour and 40 minutes long. Maybe you can help me even with like who else you think should be in the mix. I've got Bill Callahan, Silver Juice, Smog, which is Callahan again, mm-hmm. Leonard Cohen. I've got some Dylan. I've got some Lou Reed, Purple Mountains once again, once again, uh, David Berman. Anyone else you would have in that mix, kind of? Well, Destroyer, for sure. Destroyer, yep. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Getting, that's a good excuse for me to get some of the like early stuff I don't know. Maybe some Street Hawk. Some Street Hawk. That's exactly where I was going right away. Street Hawk, for sure. And um, I was excited by like having it be, instead of like listening to albums straightforward, I like the idea of uh, making it a playlist and making it something where I'm always surprised then, and it's like forcing me to kind of like engage more with it and like just stay... You know, like when you listen when you listen to an album, I feel like sometimes you can just kind of like it falls into background stuff. But if you've got a playlist mm-hmm. on shuffle, it's like it's always a surprise, and it's always like what's coming next, and it kind of keeps yeah. you on guard and keeps you actively listening. If it's not a playlist that you're you listening to a lot, and you're super familiar with, or like has a bunch of artists that you know super well, yeah. or songs by them or whatever, then yeah, absolutely, it's definitely gonna like like sort of bring you back in more and cause you to like actually kind of engage with it in a way that you might not necessarily listen to it. I think it just depends on what's going on. I think even if like you're doing something more absent, like it, you kind of have it on the background, it's still going to bring you back more right, with the playlist. Right. And um, I tried to right. do all stuff. I don't know by these artists for the most part. I mean, I got random rules in there because who doesn't want to hear random rules? I got cold blooded old times. Same reason who doesn't want to hear it. But, uh, but other than that, yeah. So I'm going to try to build that out and try to kind of like, it's just a good excuse to get into some of the deeper catalog of these artists too. So what were you about saying, you? I, were you like, this is like just strictly male poet? 
I mean, like, I didn't want to make it. I, just, I also think you said baritone, and so I was also just like, well, obviously, like Dylan, I guess, isn't a baritone, but the rest of them. Not really so, like, that's why I was just I, I suggested him, and I was like, well, yeah. that, that's I, I kind of uh, like it so hopped over be. a little bit of what you. That's <laughs> okay. As long as it's one of those where you know, if you hit like three out of the four things, like I had also thought like Joni should be in there. I really want to mm-hmm. get more into Joni. I don't mean to make it specifically male. Well, that's what um, I was curious because if there were yeah. just certain like uh, like yeah, songwriters like Berman that were just like, oh yeah, like I just want something that's more kind of like this, and not necessarily being as you know explicitly just I want it to be male, but trying to really kind of narrow that down or whatever. Because I was like the one of the first acts, obviously like having jumped over some of the descriptors in there that came to mind for me was somebody like Grouper, Liz Harris. Oh, I don't know her well. Like either. she's she's somebody that like definitely fits the bill as far as just like general kind of really strong poets that happened to. Yeah. Seemed like they almost kind of fell into music. I but. guess if I could really, I'm going to retitle it right here too. I'm going to go 2023 in parentheses. But what I'm going to really title it is The Poet Laureates of Rock. That's there what you I'm go. Yeah, for. that's. that's I don't that. know what a laureate really is. I know it's like an award you're given, but uh, that's what I'm going to call it The Poet Laureates of Rock. And what about you, Dylan? What have you been jamming on? Um, well, before we get into that, I want to say that with the, the playlist thing, I don't think I make. Like, I've got playlists that kind of have an idea of something more kind of niche in my mind or some made up genre uh, collision of things, but they'll just have like random names at all the times. So I'll forget what they are. And then it's just like, Oh yeah, this is the one that was like all like, you know, just straight up like sample based surf rock, whatever, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. Just like weird stuff that like might not necessarily kind of fit together, but just in my mind, it's just like, Oh, this is a fun collision of things. But as far as uh, what I've been really uh, into get like jamming on as a late, um, uh, it's been a little bit of uh, Lee Scratch Perry. I've been oh, kind cool. of getting. We've talked a little bit about just dub music and it's something that I've liked for a while, but I've been I haven't really kind of gotten deep into. And so, been running back Super Ape, which is one of the uh, most celebrated works of uh, the Upsetters, which was sort of his house band. Okay. And um, I also got into uh, I think Blackboard Jungle Dub, which was the collaboration he did with um, King Tubby. So that's okay. been a lot of fun to get into some of that stuff. I really. I just enjoy the sparseness, just the skeletal emphasis on rhythm. It's it, music that really, like, I think is just super easy to kind of sink into, and I can enjoy it in all sorts of different contexts. And it's just, like, really kind of immediate, warm, really interesting. Like, the effects are really interesting. And yeah, I, yeah, I just, it's so just influential and interesting. And, like, just, there's, it's a very simple kind of sound on its surface, but there's a lot of, like, detail that I'm starting to unpack, and it's been fun to kind of go down those rabbit holes. But are you even familiar with any of that kind of stuff? I got into Lee Scratch Perry just the littlest bit uh, in college when I was like trying to, when I was my my it was my pretentious chess move was going to be the guy at parties who was going to tell people that there's like more to reggae than Bob Marley like oh you haven't you haven't heard I mean I th- what do you think was producing those Marley records yeah you haven't oh you haven't heard Jimmy Cliff like oh that's interesting you don't know Toots and the Maytals like uh, the Congos Heart of the Congos like going through like that uh, Pitchfork Best of the Seventies albums list and like kind of picking mm, out all their reggae mm-hmm. picks. I'm pretty sure there was a Lee Scratch Perry one on there. But apart from that, I really – he's one of those names that I've always seen. I know, like, Keith Richards was good friends with him. Mm. Um, question for you, though. Uh, I don't know if we've ever actually like, talked about this, but when you know you're about to actively get into a new artist or a new genre of music – let's start with the artist. What do you – like, what do you do? Are you just, like – are you looking for like celebrated albums first? Are you reading like wiki bios? Are you doing documentaries? Like what's your go-to in like the first like week of kind of getting into it? Um, you know, you're making a deep dive into an artist. Definitely huge uh, scroll through wiki for sure. The docs don't usually happen unless I'm already like very invested. And I know okay. that like, I really enjoy the work or there's just an interesting story there or something, but like generally not necessarily going that route. Um, 
I don't necessarily like always kind of jumping into the most celebrated because it's like, oh, if that's going to be the one that I end up liking the most, like I kind of want to build to that in some way. So yeah. like sometimes it's just a matter of like, oh, like where did things start to click in a way or um, like maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, like it kind of like if there are, you know, huge disparities between sort of records, what might um, kind of uh, adhere more to my like sensibilities or whatever. But like it, it definitely just depends. I mean, with an artist like The Roots, I definitely listen to things fall apart first in college just because like that was sort of at a, a point where it was like oh yeah like i want to just kind of get into exactly what they're about and that seemed like the, the place to kind of jump yeah. into but like i think in retrospect like if i were to have listened to the roots for the first time before we did this series on them i probably would have gone with do you want more and it yeah. is that sort of thing where it's just like oh that seemed to be the one where everything really started to click and it'd be and I, I think it really is maybe the best point to jump in having heard all of it but and there is i think a difference too like you're saying like when you're in college it was like i just want to like I've heard about this album. I've seen it on lists. Like, I want to get a feel for yeah. why this is such a classic versus, like, when you're, like, approaching, like, Lee Scratch Perry, it seems like you're approaching him as, like, I kind of want to get a a pretty wide idea of his work. Mm -hmm. And so there, yeah, I can see where you maybe don't jump to, like, whatever his fucking Sergeant Peppers is or whatever. Yeah, and it also depends, too, with an artist. Like, there are so many, like, yeah, the artists uh, that – I've been into for a long, like the, the sort of stereotypical thing where it's just like, Oh yeah, this is like the magnum opus. These are lesser works. These are whatever. Like just the idea of there being a set sort of that sort of thing being super set in stone. Whereas like Lee Scratch Perry has a couple of records like super hip that are very well received, but like a lot of that is just sort of a style and aesthetic that he continued to hone and pioneer. And yeah. like, it doesn't necessarily like reflect it, like just distilled into like one or two records that are the ones you need to hear in the rest or whatever. Like it's just, very much something where there were you know a couple of decades where he was really kind of chiseling away this idea of what electronic record music could sound like and mm -hmm. um it's just kind of really exciting to yeah just uh kind of do a dive on an artist like that but do you what about for you though i mean do, do you feel like it, that was sort of the case in college too or it's just like i, I just want to know what they do and kind of if you like the magnum opus you're going to dig deeper but if not whatever yeah i think i think in general i probably do jump to the big one first mm -hmm. um and i mean I, there's like yeah if there's artists like I don't know, I think the classic example to jump to is like Radiohead where you want to see like that path from the Benz to OK Computer. Yeah. To get, it makes it f like in context it like is easier to appreciate or something. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, for me, I'm like I'm reaching for the big ones. Um, sometimes I will just do a play. Like I'm I like doing the like I feel like this isn't cool, but I'll do the like Spotify. This is this is Leonard Cohen and mm -hmm. like listen to just because it's cool to get a feel for. Uh, like what the big songs were from across. I think greatest hits compilations are are worth having. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah, that's absolutely. a cool thing. Um, and then I'm doing wiki readings. Uh, I do like doing the the docs because I feel like it falls into that uh, edutainment zone where it's like educational, but also like I can just lay back and kind of like mm -hmm. relax in my bed and learn. Yeah. Um, that is, I mean, that's. That's one of my favorite things in music. It just brings me right back to being 12 and, like, sitting in my basement and having the computer open. It's just, like, being excited about, like, I'm going to study this new artist. And, like, I got the YouTube open. Yeah, I got a bunch the of different tabs open. open got the yeah, I'm like, I'm like, who killed Kennedy? And by that, I mean, like, what is Leonard Cohen's best <laughs> album? Like, I'm going to solve this thing tonight. Like, that's – that's when I can get into that groove, you know what I mean? Either early in the morning with coffee or, like, late at night, like, the world is mine in those moments. Mm -hmm. uh, it's for the taking, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the world being yours and for the taking, I mean, that very much uh, embodies the sort of record that we're going to be discussing today. Yeah. I mean, that really, like, 
you know, album four of the roots, things fall apart. That's the magnum where, opus. Yeah, that's where like everything really like, and I, I'd say that like things kind of clicked on. Do you want more in the way that like, oh yeah, this is it's got a fully formed sound that really is just theirs, and like the, even though there are echoes of other things that are happening in hip hop, it like very much you know they had sort of found their identity. Things fall apart. Just like there's just so much fucking confidence flowing from this record. I mean, really front to back, it's just I mean they're firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I mean I gotta say. You just not did not do it for you. No, no, no it's I, the I, opposite. I was, I was actually getting ready it's, for you to be like, you know what? It's not. Do you want more? It's, I like, don't want still, more. Yeah, I yeah. actually don't want more. Yeah. No, I mean, I will say, I, I don't want to speak for you, but for me, I will say no, that the speak roots for both of us, baby. speak for both of us. <laughs> Let's go, the go roots, ahead. as excited as we were about seeing them live, I feel like the catalog for me and my taste has not proven as like fertile as I maybe thought it would be based on the live show, which is cool. Like, mm-hmm. like we've all, like I've talked about throughout this whole show. Like, I love the Grateful Dead, and I will. I don't think I've ever listened to. Uh, I've only listened to like two studio albums and I could go, probably go the rest of my life not hearing them. Like some bands, mm-hmm. it's just to me not about the albums. Um, I think Questlove being such a record nerd, for him it very much is about the albums. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's, you know, it's just, it's all our own taste. And Quest, I know you're out there listening, like it's not a, it's not a big deal. Did your thing. And you know, well, part of that too is like you just, okay, you have experienced them live and I think it would be a different thing had you not seen them before. Like if yeah. you would like, we had just decided to do this because it fit the other kind of criteria. Like, I think that you would have, like, maybe not a better appreciation, but it wouldn't, f- like, feel as inconsequential, maybe, to the live show as yeah. it does having experienced that. Like, it is very much something where, like, yeah, it it just is its own sort of beast. And, like, we'll, we talked about that uh, in our post, like, Pitchfork review last year. We'll get into it when we talk their uh, live album. But, I mean, it yeah, it, it is totally its own beast. And I think, like, as much as I do, like, these sort of records – they are honestly a band that I think I just prefer seeing live, just yeah. in a very, very general sense. And that was all to say also, though, that f- this was the album for me that, like, really did click. Like, yeah. Illidolf Half-Life has some, like, you know, what they do, I love to death. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's just, like, there's songs on each of them that we really like. Uh, but this was the one where I put it on, and we're going to get into the Soul Quarrying conversation. Mm-hmm. And I was laughing about this yesterday, saying this sentence in a way that – doesn't sound bad or whatever but it, if i can avoid cultural appropriation you can try you could try but you're not going to this album things fall apart the sound of it really feels like home you know what i mean because like as like mm. someone who's like you and me have both been like digging on d'angelo for a decade at mm-hmm. least and like uh jay dilla and stuff like i mean we've just kind of i don't want to say we've grown up listening to that but like it's been a decade of like listening to that kind of music this to me feels like like I put it on and it was like that's my mom's spaghetti like that's like hmm. this is like comfort food like I know this sound this is like I'm a child again in the car like and I say I, that that's why I make the cultural appropriation joke is because this is also obviously such like distinctly like black music and I don't want to yeah. be like not having been born in Philadelphia or like, born and or raised like, on the playgrounds yeah, yeah. right anyways yeah. but that that is an interesting point though because I do think like. It, those, at least what we were talking about, those records are probably, I would say, like, J. Dill of Donuts and, like, uh, Voodoo and Brown Sugar are probably records that we, you know, hold in higher esteem. I, I think both of us, generally speaking, than a lot of the other stuff that they were really kind of into earlier on. Like, they're sort of peers and, you know, contemporaries, like, on those first couple of records, whereas yeah. this Things Fall Apart was the one that was clearly, really, the, the one that, the first record of theirs that was influenced by what was happening in the Old Soul, records that... Uh, Questlove had worked on like uh, Voodoo and uh, like Water to Chocolate or just, you know, other uh, developments within the larger kind of neo-soul movement that he was just aware of at that time. And it bears the mark of, yeah, Jay Dilla and the other Soul Aquarians and a lot of that stuff that was really kind of burbling up at the end of the 20th century. Because, I mean, isn't that the big thing about the whole Soul Aquarian movement is that, uh, yeah, you know, I'm just going to fuck it. We 
I want to get a little better about this on my end this year is like Fuck setting up ball on, on wiki. Let's go setting the context up. Cause there's probably, there's, if there's, if we have listeners, if we do have, them, <laughs> there's probably people who just know nothing about this stuff. So it's nice to give a small setup. So like things fall apart fourth studio album by the roots. Uh, this is the one sentence I want to read because it shows kind of that they're all working on all this stuff at the same time. Mm-hmm. Recording sessions for the album took place at Electric Lady Studios from 97 to 98, coinciding with recording for other projects for the Soul Quarians Collective, including D'Angelo's Voodoo, Erica Badu's Mama's Gun, and Commons Like Water for Chocolate. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, really, because, like, when I put on Dynamite, you know, the one that has the Dilla production on it? Yeah, that's the, the one, because I think that he might have worked on some other ones, but that was the sole thing that he produced himself. Yeah, like, yeah. Yep. And that one, I mean... God, like just the guitar tone and stuff, it really, if you had played that for me, I would have thought like, oh, we're listening to like the Voodoo box set and this must have been mm, like a uh, mm, uh, mm. uh, leftover or something. It's just like, it really felt like, yeah, this record just, this is the one for me. Like this is definitely the Roots record I'm returning to. Do you, for you, okay. did it stand out above the rest pretty highly or no? Um, I don't think that it's like, by and like far away their best record or like my favorite i think like by a, a fairly decent margin but i i like Eldelf half-life and do you want more quite a bit as well and those like are uh i, I still kind of go back and forth with those those a little bit and i don't think they're like that much further behind but okay I think pretty clearly for me this is the favorite and i think the strongest thing they've done and it's just again there's just so much range so like this, the, the rapping has always been really tight, but, like, there were just great hooks on here, just great chemistry across the board, incredible guest features. Yeah. Like, everything, like, uh, ironically enough, given the, the title and this, a lot of the sentiments expressed throughout, like, everything did kind of fall together in a way that it just, it, it, like, it, it clicked so beautifully. Yeah. Um, I, um, I think we should also kind of get into a little bit of what we're talking about when we say Neil Soul. I mean, that was like the developments in soul, like R&B and soul that were happening towards the end of the 20th century, kind of like late, mid to late 90s forward, where yeah. taking the like developments of just like soul and R&B and Motown infusing just a lot of modern flourishes and production it, techniques. It and, seems like it's also, I feel like Neil Soul kind of, because I mean, like soul and R&B are for the most part throughout music history i feel like sort of interchangeable terms like r&b gets to a point where it starts to mean something maybe a little slicker yeah and i feel like that's what neil soul is a response to in the way where like it almost operates the same way that the term alternative did i feel like where it's like okay there's this there's rock but then by the 80s like rock could also mean like motley crew and if you're someone like the smiths you're like whoa that is not like i don't want to be pushed under mm-hmm. that because like soul like r&b has obviously always existed it wasn't like it made a comeback in that moment if anything like it was even more popular new jack swing janet jackson like yeah the, the, it was really i mean that that is an important point is that this was just sort of a knee-jerk reaction to a lot of stuff that was happening just I, in the absolute mainstream within those sort of genres yeah it seemed like it was about sort of uh neo soul also seems to me like it's maybe like the equivalent of like what like backpack rap is to hip-hop like it's supposed like in terms of how you categorize it, like it seems like it's artists who are quote-unquote more conscious you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to deal with more like societal matters and social issues. Yeah. I mean, like um, uh, as a, just to that point, I mean, Common was a soul Aquarian and a member of the yep. Soul Moons, but mm-hmm. was also considered a backpack rapper in a lot of yes, ways. Exactly. So like he very much kind of fit that more. Like yep. as far as like what that kind of embodied both sides of that, it's like that, that like it, there were just, yeah, a lot of parallels in that way where it was like, Oh, just uh, like a, yeah, just like a, sort of more conscious and spiritual sort of equivalent with, you know, just more self-awareness and a desire to kind of 
push uh, the medium forward sonically and lyrically in a mm-hmm. way that it, it at least they seem to perceive that you know the metal wasn't it wasn't happening elsewhere within you know R&B and soul music. I feel like um, like one key thing is for me is like uh, have you ever heard Questlove talk about meeting D'Angelo for the first time and how at first he was dismissive of him? I don't think so. He no. it might be in that Red Bull interview he does. Um, that Red Bull series is great too. I don't know if you've ever gotten into those where it's just like an artist on the couch talking about like they've done James Murphy, they've done uh, Rest in Peace, Win Butler, they've done God, who, uh, like they've just had they it's there's good conversations. Um, it's just oh like just interview series like with random uh, artists basically. Yeah, and it's like they'll go pretty deep on it's like an hour and a half where they'll oh, like, damn okay yeah well, it's yeah. good stuff like, like they'll hmm. what I really like about it is you'll see like the artists play the songs and then talk about them and stuff oh that's cool so yeah. that brings a nice touch but anyways Questlove talks about how when he first met D'Angelo he thought D'Angelo was just like another pretty boy R&B singer mm-hmm. like very like was that like post Brown Sugar yes and then what did it for him was that he looked at the credits of Brown Sugar and saw that D'Angelo was like Prince, where he played the drums, he played the keys, he mm. like made he did some of the bass on it, okay. and so I feel like that even like draws the line of like neo soul, like this idea that like oh D'Angelo isn't just another R and B singer, he's doing something, it's kind of like a raucous thing, but like doing something more pure, more real, like he's playing the instruments, and I'm not trying to like bag on neo soul in any way, but I do feel like that was part of it was like that neo soul is like we're less commercial than like pop R and B. There's also like musically. Um, I feel like a return to like Rhodes piano, like electric piano, yeah, like sort sure. of those sounds. Um, good bass, like just sort of like that, like Gil Scott Heron, Sly and the Family Stone kind of like seventies well, reappreciation. And that's what I was to say is that it's what's interesting is it is sort of that fusion of that stuff where you have like the real like slick kind of warm analog sounding like seventies, uh, you know, sort of soul instrumentation, but it's filtered through a lot of just like sampled material like yeah. you have that like element that jay dill brings to exactly. where you have like the the that fusion of the swing and straight time rhythms and yep. that's why a lot of like this the things fall apart has just like an incredible fusion of d'angelo or um sorry quest loves drumming alongside just electronic uh percussion like those kind of uh, juxtaposed polyrhythms yep. that like have that kind of like stuttering kind of limp uh, groove to them i mean that's like just total like jay dilla influence totally just, like, throughout all of it it's it sounds f- just great with everything else happening but like there's a reason why you hear that on this and not the ones preceding it. I mean, I might go deeper on Dilla this year because I've been on a big trip. The the biggest trip I've been on, like <clears throat> on a macro scale musically, is reappreciating like artists doing ugly shit intentionally. Hmm. Like I'm, I'm like that's where like the Lou Reed stuff kind of comes into play. Is like mm-hmm. like that song we were listening to before. That's like he's not gonna smile for the camera. It's very like mu- I'm really into like music that isn't eager to please. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so cool about Dilla and what makes it so cool is that like. He's like Picasso, where like he'll it, like the drums. Yeah, they're like he's confident enough to do offbeat shit and to like to break yeah. those rules and to go against those codes and like, yeah, like it's like those Picasso paintings where it's just like all mixed up and ugly. But it's cool. It's like that's like mm-hmm. I love that about it. Dill is such a badass. Yes, yeah. And I was gonna say I don't obviously know Picasso or just any kind of like visual art anywhere as near well as you do. But I think that is sort of an apt comparison in that like. There is that very clear understanding of the rules, that intentionality with breaking them, and every like so just deliberate with how he's going about yeah. it. And it sounds like so purposefully off kilter and off that it just it's so just uncanny and you know beautiful and just so like, singular unto itself. That, yeah. Like, I uh, and I I talked a little bit um, when we were talking Good Kid, Mad City uh, for its anniversary about how 
uh, Tip of a Butterfly really is a record that is just steeped in like Dilla's influence. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the rhythms on that very much kind of mimic uh, his uh, specific, uh, you know, however you want to call that. Uh, sense of time well dilla time yeah basically yeah, yeah, that, yeah that flow to it and so it's cool to see the way that that's continue to reverberate and um yeah i mean along with dilla just himself there's no question the roots were a huge uh, influence on yeah to modify everything else that was happening you know kind of around that time a lot of the west coast jazz renaissance and all that but uh things fall apart really to me i mean there are definitely moments on do you want more in a little half-life like uh we go um uh, what they do, rather. Um, yeah. I don't know if Half Life and a handful of tracks on uh, Do You Want More that are pretty immediate, but Things Fall Apart really is the first one where it's like, oh, I could see how they became like a mainstream kind mm-hmm. of like. I can see how you get on Fallon. Like, absolutely. Like, that's, again, to me, it's like, okay, like, it's not that this stuff is just super low hanging fruit and corny and obvious in a way that like lends itself to Fallon sensibilities per se, but. I think with Phrenology, we get there with stuff like The Seed, that song. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like that kind of was like a big hit for them, and that feels a little more eager to please then like things fall apart yeah because i was gonna say with like phrenology definitely has like that's an interesting record too where like there are some hits on there but it also has a harder sound in general like it's still a little Mm. bit more jagged sounding in a way that like i wouldn't have thought like that record on the whole would have lent itself to that even though yeah there are some like pretty like larger singles for them on there but with uh things fall apart there is a darkness and a like soberness to it but i still think like it it's an interesting balancing act in that way where like again it feels very yeah just conscious of the stakes you have that skit at the beginning where it's just like oh did, just talking about how you know that very um it's i think some um spike lee film that like has two characters come back and forth about like just um you know this stuff being uh too advanced for certain audiences and how like they basically like they're not going to simplify their shit and the other guy just being like well that's why you know people aren't going to come is they don't want to hear this fucking bullshit and like that self-consciousness about just like who are they really making this music for can they really kind of sustain themselves doing what they sort of want to do and there does seem to be that kind of tension throughout it but it just also just seems so effortless and open and like just yeah i mean the hooks on here are just remarkable like it, it it's so just like immediate in a way that none of the music beforehand really did seem to be even if the stakes had just continued to get higher and higher with each subsequent release like it's cool to see like those sort of tensions kind of pitted against each other in a way or like you know those elements at uh you know both that kind of play in the same way because it there are yeah just interesting contradictions like that that seem to run through and just make it that more of an interesting kind of artifact Mm -hmm. it really feels like you also see just like i mean i feel like we talked about this in some of the earlier episodes like how i don't want to give all the credit to quest but, like, uh, we talked to Felix before about how he had such a knowledge of how, like, community can affect the quality of the art. Like, if you just get it, like, so much about art is, like, just introducing people that should meet each other to each other and yeah. sort of seeing what sparks happen when those two, like, rocks touch or whatever. And the so, spark. like, to see this, that's right, those, that spark, baby. Yeah, and so yeah. with this, I mean, you really, God, you get, like, we're talking about some of the biggest artists of all time being in the same room with each other. We're talking about fucking... Questlove, Jay Dilla, D'Angelo, Eric Badu, Jill Scott, Common, uh, Scott Storch being in the room too. On, yeah. I mean, he did production on some of these. Uh, and you, re- I feel like, yeah, God, you just get like, like to have a song like You Got Me where it's. Uh, where it's, it's like, like, this one, Jill Scott, I think, wrote the hook, but Eric yep, Badu's on it, I believe. Yep, because she was the bigger artist at the time and the yep. label wanted and to have Eve's her. And on there, but like, obviously, Storch's playing on there. And the, yeah, it's, I mean, shit, like, yeah, you fucking um, Erica Badu and then. Uh, most stuff's got an incredible feature on here. Yep. Common's got a great feature yep. on here. Beanie Siegel? Yeah. Beanie, yeah, say, baby, it's, come it, on. It's his first uh, verse. 
he had his like kind of his debut like recording. I didn't know verse, that. Wait, I believe, what? On this song, it's the first time that like he what? had like recorded a verse well, for something know. officially released. I believe. Damn. Yeah. Shit. His debut album was 2000. So why not? Um, yeah, a recording debut on Adrenaline, which is yeah, pretty tight. Which is, I mean, a great song. Again, like, just there are so many songs. Yeah, some like because I I wouldn't necessarily say that like Adrenaline is like an absolute highlight, but like there are just so many just like deeper cuts in here that are great. Like, really, yeah. in my mind, like no real kind of weak spots. There are like some very obvious highs for me, like the Spark or um, the one you mentioned, You Got Me. But like, nothing. It never really kind of drags for me. I mean, it's pretty long. It's a little over an hour. Uh, obviously a lot happening, but it, I don't feel like there's any kind of fan on here. It just, it flows really, really well. Yeah. Like no, yeah. Bum verses or like there was a lot of moments on organics to me, like just passages that would kind of drag on and stuff like that. But this is a very tight record, uh, considering it's runtime, you know, yeah. considered honestly. Yeah. I love to like, uh, get just like that feel of like, I couldn't tell like on like to go back to dynamite, like where Dilla produced it, like. Well, Dill produced it. I was so curious about, like, what does that mean? Did he program drums or did he just, like, f- did Quest record his drums and then Dilla, like, used them and sampled them himself and, like, kind of fucked them up in a way? Or, like, mm-hmm. and it's just so cool because you also get that whole feel on, like, uh, to go to voodoo. I don't want to talk about albums just around this, but, like, it is kind of one big soup. Yeah, one I cosmic mean, gumbo. It's difficult to really do justice to that record without talking about all the other load stars around it because again, it, it the all, songs were gonna they were going back and forth between artists yes, too. Yes, and that's yeah. We, yeah. We, I don't want to have you lose your point, but that's what made that just so exciting was that like they would just be these like long soul crane sessions, and it was just like oh, you didn't really know what track was gonna find what album. It was just yeah. like just these marathon kind of jam sessions where yep. they would just be working stuff out and adding stuff to each other's stuff and riffing on ideas or whatever. But what were you gonna say? Just that like it's so cool to see like to go back to the community thing, I guess of like when people meet other people and how it can affect things like just even on voodoo you listen to voodoo and it's i think almost 100 percent quest love on drums maybe there's some like electronic drums yeah on he there too. predominantly yeah but like, produced and was playing the drums but you it. really hear it just sounds like if jay dilla was to play drums like mm-hmm. the like the way it f- keeps falling behind the beat and like yeah. then kind of has to catch up for a second and stuff it's just yeah and you hear that's like to go back to for me why this one sounded like so familiar like that limping drum kit. It's that just limping like, drum yeah. kit. The guitar tones, the bass mm-hmm. playing. I was surprised. I mean, I knew. Yeah, Pino is, I think, on uh, all That's of who these. I thought. I, I thought Pino, but it's Leonard Hubbard from what I'm oh, looking really? at. The actual bass player who was in their group. I uh, would have thought, because I love Pino. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, he was, he was like the de facto sort of bassist in the soul group. Yeah. Even though a handful of them could play bass, he was like the bassist yep. as a member of that group. But you were saying on Things Fall Apart, though, he wasn't playing bass? No, it looks like, because yeah. that's what I literally... he's not in the roots, but like, I right. know that he was like working on a lot of those sessions. I thought he might for... be on at least one or two of them, but yeah. it looks like Leonard Hubbard handled all of it. Hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, and I, I gotta ask, have you ever... I've never gone deep on Erica Badu. I mean, she could be someone down the road we do for a series like this. Like, have you listened to Mama's Gun? I've never popped yeah, that one on. Yeah, I, I actually... Um, the, just like with the roots, I ended up going through all of Erica Badu stuff before oh, her geez. headlining Pitchfork set. Oh. Like two years ago, just because... It was like... I had heard Baduism in college like years ago. And I remember really liking it, but again, one of those things like things fell apart where I just had never gone back and listened to the rest of it. And so I was like, "Yeah, fuck it, I'm just gonna do." It. And I, I listened to the Telephone mixtape when that came out uh, several years ago. But um, yeah, there aren't that many records. There. I think she only has like four or five of them. And then that oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot there, but for the most part, it's all pretty great, and definitely would recommend doing it. I mean, not just because you know I don't think it's gonna work out for, as far as the miniseries go, but definitely somebody. She's that, so like, funny. I would say, I mean, really, like, she, yeah, she is hilarious. She's very just, like, uh, can be cutting and dry and just interesting and, like, just, uh, yeah, very um, warm but also um, 
incisive when uh, she's so he cool. Calls for it. Too. Yeah, like, yeah. Another like I feel I don't want to keep putting everyone in the Lou Reed comparison lane, but like she, I feel like she reminds me of Lou Reed, where she's just like effortlessly cool and like. Yeah, I mean, of this whole query, she had the Lou Reed thing going on. Yeah, like the most. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> this is what audio ecstasy is about. It's about answering compare, the age-old yeah. question: Who is the Lou Reed of the Soul Query? Yeah, who is the Lou Reed of any sort of group? <laughs> Yeah, um, I uh, I would say like yeah, Baduism and Mama's Guns. Mama's Gun are records that like I'd recommend to anybody. Yeah, just straight up, they're fucking great. Which one is Bag Lady on? Do you know? Uh, I want to say Mama's Gun, but I don't know off the top. No, I don't know up, them that I'm well. I'm pulling up the track listing right but, freaking yeah, now. Yeah, great stuff. Um, yeah, it was uh like just it's on uh Mama's Gun. Yep. Mama's Gun. Okay. Yep. Yeah, interesting how like yeah in that uh, Dilla book, uh, Dilla time they talk about how it would just be yeah like members various members of the soul Queer, just like flying in going to dilla studio in detroit or to their uh you know where uh quest and uh electric lady yeah, yeah. Really in new york yep. basically like just a lot of that kind of just back and forth and just people in for the weekend you know these marathon jam sessions and like basically that kind of thing where it's just like oh like so and so stop by where you know this is going to be for this sort of thing this perfect person to sing this hook on whatever and like that kind of like real like you know, nonchalant, kind of casual, just like any up for anything sort of like feel to all these mm-hmm. sessions, but also like just like so obviously super deliberate with the choices and just it was really kind of fascinating to think that like yeah, a lot of these orchestras sounded so differently just depending on what they felt like playing on and putting what where and yeah. just it was really really cool to see like again just when this in the span of we're talking like five years just so many of these sort of classics back after back after back and like this was um, one of those periods too where like I mean in the rear view it's like oh yeah i mean clearly uh quest love's head was still very much with the roots even though he was doing all kinds of other things but it's not hard to see an alternate timeline where he just left the roots after things fell apart and was just a producer you know, yeah a I mean, he, he was touring with uh angels band for voodoo like right after things fall apart came out so it's not even like he went on a major tour with the roots yeah. after that record so yeah. like that it's it's like really easy to like just think about how it literally could have just ended after that record basically and like they were right at that kind of ascendancy point but just think so many different sort of things were happening at once and like um i think roots records do seem to just get increasingly dark kind of from here on out in a way that like you'd think would be surprising a light of that success with that but like it always did seem on some level kind of um like there there's sort of tension there of like was this sort of thing going to last up until the fallon band like it just being like with more success more uncertainty about creative direction and their sort of desire to remain you know black thought and quest love for the most part wanted to remain together and yeah it's interesting to see that like yeah this is sort of like right at that crossroads where so many different things could have happened for them i mean you talk about touring how he toured with d'angelo i'm curious i could have i guess i could have done this research before but it's just coming to my mind now they could have done such a cool like review type thing like the motown review or the rolling thunder review where it's like you could have had like d'angelo Questlove, or <laughs> God, that's a Freudian slip. D'Angelo, The Roots, uh, like Erica Badu, Common, they could have all like toured together and just oh, had yeah. The Roots as like the touring band mm-hmm. and sort of like mix it up throughout. Like you have everyone come out and do like three songs. Yeah. And then three, and then it kind of do some songs together and like. Literally treat their set sort of the way that they had their headline pitchfork set, where it's just like one large thing with a band. You're cycling through other songs. Artists. You have like a, a rapper or singer or whatever come on stage for a couple songs and depart. Yep. Come back up for a feature or whatever, but just rotating through vocalists and closest thing of people seen... playing instruments. I mean, because there were a lot of people in the roots. There were still some instrument swapping that night when we saw them. But yeah, totally. What were you about to say, though? Have, have you ever watched Dave Chappelle's Block Party? No, I have not. came out, I want to say, maybe like 2003 or four, but that's the closest thing I can think of to it. Where, and it really, feel, I mean, it's more of like a musical thing, 
like a documentary about like that moment in time almost or like celebrating like a couple years after that because it's got the roots of the main band for it but then uh you've got erica badu there you've got jill scott there they improvise together and like sing mm. together over stuff it's awesome to see very cool commons there you've got super young kanye west there yeah so i mean it's basically like the soul aquarium backpack rap merge like hybrid uh, yes little block you party got black and, like, star there oh yeah i mean come, come on. on this is yeah this is absolutely what this is like just the equivalent but with a and, dave you know, Chappelle backdrop and you know who the headliner was supposed to be d'angelo no lauren hill and Dave Chappelle comes out and pulls one of the greatest little moments. He comes out and goes, "Now Lauren Hill was supposed to headline tonight. You can you can feel the crowd's heart drop. Oh yeah, it's just, it's as soon as he finished, yeah. And goes, but there was issues with the label. We could not get her to perform tonight. Oh. So instead, we've got the Fugees reunited, and all three come out. Praz, Wyclef, Lauren, they all come out and do a set together with the Roots as the backing band. Damn, it's kick ass." Yeah. You said that was 03 or 04 or something I think like it's that? 04, That's, Dave Chappelle's damn. block party. That is so wild to think of, just having that materialized right there. Like, come, the Fuji's coming together. With, oh, sorry. Like, I'm sorry. 2005. It was filmed in the summer of 04, though, and it's got, here, I'll read it off. Chappelle, Kanye, Most Def, Talib Kweli, Jill Scott, Erica Badu, The Roots, Common, Big Daddy Kane, Cool G Raps, The Fugees, Bilal, Dead Prez, John Legend. Oh, that's right. John Legend's there. One of your all-time favorites. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, so like uh, that would have been so cool to have just seen like a Soul Quarians review, God, at like the Fox Theater or like ooh at like Shane Park or Aretha Franklin amp- outside. That would be perfect because yeah, that that really is. I mean, I with like what we're talking about here, there is just so much sort of talent within. Like just like whether we're talking about like the strict uh, the Soul Quarians in the strictest sense, or just like Neil Soul in a much broader sense, like there was so much potential for these sort of like massive kind of tours with just yeah. so many people just cycling in and out, and it really. Yeah, it is a shame that, like, nothing kind of ever materialized in that way, just sort of building off the momentum of, like, these sort of records that we're talking about within that span. I mean, yeah. really, they're just, it's insane how much. I mean, just strictly the Soul Aquarians alone, there's, like, a dozen people there that would have been incredible to see together. But If I like, can connect a couple dots, too, yeah, I feel yeah. like one of the initial things that got us into this, like we always talk about, was the Pitchfork roots live performance and i remember really like, was like the kickstart for this yeah. specific series yeah. and we were talking about how it felt like a block party mm-hmm. right and like i feel like that was like p- part of what made that so special was that it was like outdoors it was summertime we were yeah. around a bunch of people who were feeling good and it was just like a good energy yeah and like you had mentioned at like one point as well that like i mean that energy in the crowd was unlike anything that i think we had the whole really rest seen. of like the, everybody the was just dancing and yeah enjoying the, having fun just, yeah Oh, yeah. Because it was the last performance. You could tell, like, everyone was like, okay, this is the last performance of the weekend. We got to, like, there's yeah. no point in not letting loose now and having yeah. fun. Um, and what was so cool about the set, we also, like, you mentioned how they, the songs never stopped. It was one flowing thing. And they do covers. I feel like that also connects to, like, the recording process for this where, like, I know at least with Voodoo, and I would assume it kind of drifts into the Things Fall Apart sessions because, like, we talked about it was kind of just one big soup of sessions. Yeah. Was that... They were in Electric Lady, and D'Angelo was so big on, like, a lot of the writing would start with them just covering, like, cla- like he just wanted to, like, Bob Dylan does this a lot, too. He did this with the basement tapes of, like, before we get into, like, writing or starting on the original work, let's just have the band play. Let's make a big list, like, covers, and we'll kind of work on these, and it sort of sets a foundation and a tone and, like, a mm-hmm. context for what we're working in. So he would talk about how they'd come in, and they'd do, like, full jams where they would cover, like, a full, like, like there's a riot going on by Sly and the Family Stone, just or the like full record. Yeah, like they just come mm-hmm. in and play over the whole thing, but then you know that leads to like improvisational jamming, and it leads yep. to like 
uh, like freestyling over it and just like you start, it becomes your own thing and you're never going to replicate it perfectly. And so like, as you get into a groove, maybe that leads to another song. And yes. like, and so that would, I mean, God, I'm just thinking about this like hypothetical tour. We've talked about how cool that'd be to like, see them come out and like weave in these covers and like work with each other's songs and mm-hmm. man. Yeah. There was a, a little bit of that discussion too in the Dilla book, strictly with um, D'Angelo and Questlove doing that kind of thing where they do electric lady, like, like late at night, like yeah. two, three in the morning, something smoke some weed, spin some records, and then just, like, start jamming after they've gone and, like, listened to a handful. Like, just as, yes. like, whoa, whatever, like, again, like, you, what you were speaking to, like, basically se- establishing a context for where their headspace was at and, like, what they were trying to achieve. It's like as- a framework. Yes. Yeah. Right, right. And so, yeah, like, that kind of thing. And, like, just, again, sort of seeing that stuff evolve, too, where it's like, okay, you have, like, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that was forming the sort of records that might be touring, but then, like, incorporating covers of, like, where their heads are at next. And, like, mm-hmm. seeing where, like, those kind of strands meet each other in real time. I mean, yeah. like, that that stuff would have been real. And, like, again, I think with The Roots live, it was really exciting to see, like, I can't remember a ton of the covers, but, like, there was a nice mix of just, like, old, like, classic, you know, sort of hip-hop favorites and then stuff like Run Up a Hill that just had that, mm-hmm. like, immediate, like, kind of cultural moment where it was like, oh, yeah. like their ears are they have their ears to the ground in so many more ways than one and it was cool just to see yeah just like kind of how this was sort of speaking to the moment as well as you know what's happening culturally as well as what they were into at that moment and just where those sort of things connect i think is really exciting and with like, quest being such a record nerd yeah. i feel like you like he has to he's so like oh if we're gonna cover that i want to balance it we're gonna cover that then yes. that's way too well known we need to show them we also right. know it, like, it just black thought just like signed to himself and quest uh, being like no man we got it that's need more vinegar in this yeah set. exactly <laughs> exactly ah <laughs> Yeah, they kick so much ass. It's like I hope I hope that at some point there's a good documentary on the whole Soulquarian yeah. period kind of. I don't know if that exists or could ever if there's footage kind of, but man. Yeah, I have no sense of that. I, I it was something that I had thought about a little bit myself reading that book and I completely forgot to do an actual research myself. But like yeah, honestly, I I think everything really from like yeah, ninety five brown sugar ish up through the end of the yeah, like 20th century, I think, would be really worth exploring yeah. the doc. You know, like God, yeah. just, yeah, there's just so much stuff there. And, like, yeah, I, along with, um, yeah, the preceding uh, three records that we've discussed, I mean, this is definitely, I mean, I, I, I'd say of all the records, yeah, this is still my favorite record of theirs. And the one that, again, continues to cast, like, the largest shadow of everything else that they've done. And mm. I don't see them, like, returning to any of these sort of styles. I mean, they've just kind of moved so well beyond that. Like, you can hear echoes of it, but, like, it's just such a, yeah, very much emblematic of its time, but it's still just so forward thinking. And like, again, like probably the record of theirs that more so than anything else will continue to inform what they do moving forward, even though it doesn't sound all that much like it. Yeah. Like it just, there was just so much, you know, that they, that they did to expand what they were doing with this. But do you have like any kind of favorites that jump out to you on here? Cause I mean, yeah, for sure. we've talked about with all these albums, we kind of just completely glossed over that, but for sure. I think, um, you know the singles are great the next movement and you got me yeah next movement feels like just an absolute old timer when that kicks in it's like I, i've known the song my whole bum, life bum, like bum, yeah bum. oh yeah absolutely uh, D- dynamite is for sure one i like step into the realm i thought that one was oh, really yeah. sweet um and i know you mentioned um um what is it you got me which i mean you got me for sure fantastic yeah. yep uh you know i like uh, they really are all good like i thought adrenaline you know, I liked hearing the Beanie Siegel. I was very curious to hear what that yeah. sounded like. I liked comment on it, uh, Act 2. Like, there's really not much that I'm not into. You know, like, the only things that don't, like, jump out as favorites really are just the ones that are sort of, like, interstitial things. Yeah. Like the Act songs, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was just, I'm still so impressed with this record. I think it, yeah, it's held up very well. And like, yeah, just, I mean, I'd still feel like, yeah, do you want more is the one that I would immediately point to for some, as far as if they really kind of want to do the rounds with them, but this is like the essential record. This is the one that like, yeah, just is, yeah. Age of the Bastard, I think it's just, you know, really feels like it's just, it's, it, it's so much of the hip hop that I love and I think is interesting kind of seems to have drawn a lot of influence from this and, it's cool to see it continue to reverberate through, yeah, just stuff that I still love to hear and is coming out today. So. Well, Dylan, I've got good news for you, and that's that Rolling Stone agrees with you. In 2020, the album was ranked number 416 on their 500 greatest albums of all time. Yo! If I can, can we do a quick divergence real quick here? Into for... the Rolling Stones' top 500 singers? Yes, you knew. Two, two, <laughs> 200. 200, okay. Well, I was saying, I haven't looked at the list. So I just oh, you say, haven't? I, like, I... I kind of browsed through some of it, but I never ended up going all the way through. And I know, I know that Bob Dylan was pretty high on there. I think he edged out Brian Wilson. Which that was, cool. yeah, the, the groups like, are, I, I think cracks yeah, me Beach up. Boys surf hosting was definitely upset about that. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Bob Dylan harmonica posting was loving it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that the, the most I saw about this list was probably through surf posting in response to that, that, uh, that what was thing. perceived slight as a slight, yeah. but, uh, but you know what I, I agree with though. I think I put Dylan, I think Dylan's, got more that he can do with his voice than brian wilson i mean don't get me wrong brian has such a distinct style but like yeah i mean best is such a loaded sort of term i mean yeah. i think like dylan's a more interesting versatile and dynamic singer yeah than brian wilson for sure brian wilson's got a much i think stronger tone and just like i mean can write harmonies like bob dylan could never but i mean honestly like dylan's voice is just so much unique and more interesting I mean, mm-hmm. there's no question about it like the big... uh, that just like saying it like as like the best voice. i mean it's just there's that's so where much, it's tough like, is like how do yeah. you get into the rubric for that like right. i mean i think we can all agree that it wouldn't just be like who is the technically greatest singer um but yeah like that sam you... cook at three i'd love to see that the top he was, 10 he was way high the top there. so the top 10 were all pretty much uh yeah, kind of. It's a, it's very R and B soul leaning, which seemed like a big corrective from the initial. Have you ever seen their earlier list? They did maybe fifteen years ago. Yeah, I think so. Uh, which was in classic Rolling Stone fashion, very classic rock indebted. Yep, exactly. Uh, I feel like the, I feel like in the in the original top ten, number one I think was still maybe Aretha or maybe it was Marvin Gaye, but then beyond that it was like John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Bob Dylan might have even been in the top ten. I think Kurt Cobain was like twelve before, but mm. this one. It felt very much trying to make a corrective on that, and I agreed with it. It was like, yeah, number one's Aretha, number two's Whitney Houston. I think you're right. Three might have been Sam Cooke. Mariah's number five. Uh, Beyonce was like eight. You know, like it's it's hard to it's hard to gauge. How do you fucking? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it really just. I mean, that is one of those where again, it's just you're defining it like so loosely that it's just like you're you're begging i mean obviously it's, it's all for the clicks here but you're just begging for people to just fucking argue in comment sections about like what which is yeah. it's best i mean there's, there's, there's like yeah. it, that is just the sole intention with something like this and where like, was marquis smith like, <laughs> where was marquis smith <laughs> where was stephen malcolmus number one in my heart baby number one yeah i want like uh, they had they had lou on there i think lou Dave was in Berman the 50s and yeah i want i need like, i need that style represented i mean absolutely if you this we've totally gone off course here real quick but for just Sorry, actually, baby. that's what it's about and that's what they're getting into with exactly this. yeah for who are do you have some like all-time favorites like it, i'll buy you some time and give you some of mine real quick but like i yeah, feel absolutely. like if i'm putting together a list of who i think my like your five favorite my favorite 
singers. Yeah, because best just means favor, right? There's no, like, I'm not going to be able to, like, step outside of myself and have well, some the thing objective. Is, could, I think it's fun to try to be objective and subjective about it, but without, like, really, like, getting into the minutia of what constitutes technically, like, recognized great singing, it, yeah. it becomes a moot sort Well, because, like, I don't have knowledge of, like, salsa or, like, cumbia. Like, yeah. I can't, like, pretend, like, my, I'm going to have my biases and let's just be open up front about them. Mm-hmm. For me, it's, like, the, the artists who I feel like have been my favorite singers over the year. I'm putting Dylan in there. Elliot Smith, I think, is like one of the such a distinct, specific voice. Is that who's your number one? Elliot, uh, this no, no order. No, no, I the, guess. the first person you said. Dylan, Dylan, Bob right? Dylan, Dylan, Elliot Smith. Elliot yeah. Smith. Yeah. Bowie, I think Bowie has so many different voices. Mm. Uh, you know, I am putting Lou in there. I would put uh, my. I'm picking. Uh, God, I hate not remembering his name, but the lead singer of the Four Tops is such a oh, yeah. underrated. Uh-huh. He's got such a powerful voice, and uh, that'd be kind of my pick from the Motown sort of realm. You know. Yeah, I man, there. Are, I I wish I had like a kind of go to. I've got like some contemporary like favorites that I had for a sort of while, like pretty well established, but like I'd have to really over just like all-time sort of favorites i mean i think for me um bowie and lou reed would for sure be in there um i sam cook might be my number one honestly yeah um panda bear and ab terror absolutely uh did you see the celine dion fans did i see the celine dion fans they uh there's like a bunch of photos of them they went to rolling stone's office she was oh on the list yes and they were like right. holding signs yeah, outside up. like yeah. you forgot celine yes i did see that Celine yeah. should be on there i think I'm yeah i mean fan, it's, like, it's fucking hilarious that people were out protesting that but yeah, i love no, it she, she get, should, the, ben, get yeah. the base riled yeah. up yeah. yeah um yeah i'm gonna I, I give this some more thought i'll come back with a more conclusive list at a later date but like okay. i as far as like my contemporary favorites would be like panaberry Viterra, bradford cox um yeah bradford does have i feel like a really distinct it's yeah it's just like it i just i love that tone it's just like so kind of haunted and like yeah just very very dreamy but also has a little bit of grit to it what's her name from the cocteau twins oh yeah for sure elizabeth frazier is definitely one of my all-time favorites yeah she's got to be in that mix absolutely oh king cruel of course Um, moses sumney both i mean for very different like basically they just have i mean moses sumney has a very gorgeous voice but they both have just very distinct timbres that i any voice that is like off the beaten path um, yeah in a more conventionally pretty or conventionally ugly way i appreciate like Like your moses's kind of alex g drake yeah absolutely drake yeah for for (laughs) sure dude of course of course (laughs) samfa gorgeous voice yeah Um, oh yeah. yeah also so i mean Getting into this too is gonna, I think, bleed. Uh, this got me thinking about some of my anticipated records of 2023. So I'm gonna have to take it there. No, man, I'm gonna have to cut us off here. We're, gonna, we're, right, we're, okay. we're giving too it's much too to much. people with this. Yeah, 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 you gotta pay for the Patreon for that. That's exactly right. It'll be coming, but you're not getting it today, folks. Yeah, XC out. XC fucking out. Thank you.